Greetings ladies and mental gents, and welcome to this batch video of one-shots taken from the HUPI subreddit. The links to the originals will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do so, please consider subscribing, because for those that don't, you will be visited later on by a biomass-eating cloud of sentient nanites. Story number one. The Beautiful Machine, written by Raidner Scaldia. Johnny's heart hammering at his ribs trying to pump even more blood and hormones to his extremities. There was nothing left for him to do. The air circulator was buzzing to his left. The nerve panel suddenly clacked down another second. There was a breeze against his face. What was left to do? What could he still do? He surveyed the panel with his eyes, unable to turn his head. Antenna, decoder, encoder, channel select, ball, rototron, axle, shaft, sluice, conveyor, support arms, O2 reserve, scrubbers, N2 reserve, pressure sensors, power plant, batteries, transformer left, transformer right, gravitation beacon lock, all green. Inhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight. Inhale, two, three, four. Hold, two, three. Pilot, Capcom. Capcom, pilot, he responded immediately. Instinctive Pavolian. We're green for a ball start. Copy, ball start. Johnny moved his finger to the actual honest-to-god mechanical switch. It clicked like something out of an original Star Trek. The throbbing bass underscored by the tiny buzz of a fan. The air on the back of his neck stood on end. The small indicator on the nav panel switched from green to white. Johnny saw the front of the subspace ball revving up in his mind. A faint vibration carried back to the cabin as the bore head crept past 15 RPM. The particular arrangement of reality spikes on the borehead caused each subspace bore to vibrate at a unique series of exponential harmonics. The engineers had built dampeners to counter harmonic systems to prevent the vibration. Johnny, like all pilots before him and all pilots after him, could still feel the machine vibrate. The RPM held steady at 100. Pilot Capcom confirm reading Beacon G-Lock. Capcom, pilot, G-Lock reading green. Johnny waited, his hands gripped the polished chrome lever. He was careful not to nudge it. In two, three, four, hold. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, out. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Pilot, Capcom, go for tunnel. I repeat, go for tunnel. Capcom, pilot, Roger, go for tunnel. His hand gently guided the lever forward, stopping at the soft click when it reached the first position. The subspace bore growled. Johnny felt the bass rumble descend below the hearing threshold and settle in his chest. The RPMs leapt up to a thousand. Vents along the side of the subspace bore opened, glowing with a dull red. Then an orange, orange-yellow, yellow, warm-white, cool-white until finally reaching a terrifying bright blue and the thump vents clanked open. Comms fuzzed out as the borehead started to tear space-time. Johnny pressed into the gear radio one button. The massive threads of the bottom of the bore engaged, siphoning off a fraction of the RPMs. 
His nav panel cautioned him, radar detected a solid obstacle, the cliff wall of the former quarry, 50 meters ahead in the subspace ball. Johnny pushed the lever to the second position. The ball's thunderous voice vibrated in his bones, but he couldn't bear it. It was 90% subsonic as the RPMs built. Climbing past 1500, the detribulizer started the characteristic monotone scream. At precisely 1,572 RPMs, the entire cab shuddered violently. Johnny let go of the lever, afraid that he might push it accidentally. The shuddering faded as abruptly as it came. Johnny checked his teeth with his tongue. Nothing chipped. Radar reported 40 meters to the cliff wall. The space-time sluice of conveyor systems warbled to life somewhere behind his cab. The RPMs dripped below 1500, shaking the cab violently. Johnny was holding his breath, white-knuckling the command seat's armrest. The RPM gauge slowed down, correcting for the new load, hovering at 1,479, and then started climbing back up. He grit his teeth before thinking better of it, and instead made a conscious effort to keep his jaw loose. As the RPM gauge passed 1,572 again, the lights juddering in his vision, he could swear the spit of the dust or something fell from one of the panels above him. Where the cab lights flickering, Oh God, please don't let the damn thing have shaken the wiring loose. His Saint Christopher medallion fell from the annunciator panel. Fricking engineers and their crappy calculations, he shouted grabbing the Saint Christopher medallion midair. His elbow crashed into the armrest on the entire machine jolted upwards in less than a second. Finally, the beast calmed down and the RPMs climbed past the harmonic. Radar reported 25 meters to the cliff wall. Johnny flung the lever into the third position. The hairs on his neck relaxed as the subspace ball purred subsonically, save for the tiny whine of the air circulator. The cab was silent. Even the detribulizer was screaming with supersonic now. He gently rehung the medallion next to his master caution light. Radar beeped 10 meters. The terrain light blazed right orange. RPMs plateaued at 2,114. External cameras flashed with a confused static rainbow of fractal mire patterns. The quarry walls seemed to be refracting in a thousand different shards of glass. Rotating on an axis, there was neither roll, pitch, nor yaw. Brilliant streaks of color raced between the shards. Strange scintillations burned at the camera, looking like how it felt when your foot was asleep. The terrain light winked off. Radar reported no return. All around was the ever-changing chaos of subspace. Johnny's subspace bore had dragged along the tunnel of real space, where only human things in every direction except behind him. Rear-facing cameras showed the rock and dirt in the quarry. The subspace bore was an idea dragged into reality and tempered by millions of compromises. It was designed, and it was human-made. Before the rear of the subspace bore transisted, when the comms would tick over the subspace adjusted, Johnny followed the tradition of all ball pirates and repeated Angela and Leonard's first words from another universe. The real first words. Not the ones said later to a microphone and the recorders. Frick you, Lightspeed, we'll just go to a different universe. End of story number one. Story number two. I Can Hear Them Coming, written by C.K. Pasta.
It wasn't supposed to be like this. Command told us that we were on a primitive world. They hadn't even discovered electricity yet. A simple resource grab from a backwater world. We weren't supposed to stay for longer than a week. And yet, I can hear them coming. We abducted one of the people for looking them over. They weren't supposed to be a threat. The human wore nothing but cloth to cover himself. His skin was soft, thin. His flesh ripped in our claws. His bones were crushed beneath our teeth. His hair was pulled with ease, and his arms were half the length of ours. But now that we were here, our march had stopped. My claws broke on their hard clothing. Their heads were covered. Their body was blocked with a circular metal object they held. Their flesh was not exposed. Their arms were extended in a single claw of jutting out. They were able to keep us out of reach with their wooden arms. We had to retreat. I can still hear them coming. We abducted another one of these to test the ranged abilities. His throws were slow. The distance was a fraction of what we could do. The force was non-lethal. He could not penetrate our skin with rocks that we'd given him. One of our weaker soldiers was able to throw a rock larger than a human and kill him. But now we were here. We did not see rocks in the air. We could barely see them at all. Tiny pieces of wood with metallic tips. It was faster than their throws and farther than we could reliably see. And yet they were able to hit us with an unimaginable accuracy. We were supposed to have been out of range, but that was refuted as the objects flew past my ears and filled the air with the screams of my friends. I can still hear them coming. And now we're holed up on our ship. Our engines had been damaged by those projectiles and we couldn't take off. We've been taking turns resting and trying to keep them at bay. But even our arms grew tired throwing this many rocks. There's not many of us left now. We've been slowly getting weaker, but they've never seemed to stop. The ground stopped shaking, though we thought at the first that they may have given us a chance to live. When we looked out, we still couldn't recognize their face. They still wore the metal over their heads, their eyes, their mouths barely peeking through. Their wooden sticks and metal objects dangling from their arms were still at their sides. They stared right back at us. They started yelling. No. It was more a chant. We didn't know what was happening, and it echoed so loudly. And so soon as it started, it stopped, just as quickly. I would have preferred for them to continue. The silence was deafening. Spartans! I can hear them coming. Advance. End of story number two. End of this batch video. If you wish to support the author or the channel, all the relevant links are down below. But the easiest way would be to share this video far and wide to as many unsuspecting people as possible. And until the next video, I hope that you all have a good time. And I'll see you then. Cheers.